Hello, everybody, and welcome to Web and Beyond Live for May 3rd, 2021. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm president of W3 Consulting and managing director of our W3C Web Services, which provides affordable web and WordPress hosting, domain name registration services, and other web-related services for small business. Uh, Web and Beyond Live is a weekly show about topical and timely small business digital marketing related issues, all the things I'm tracking from week to week as a small business digital marketing strategist that I think you as a small business owner needs to be successful marketing and managing on the web and beyond today. And so if you're joining me here live, welcome, uh, feel free to chat and ask questions and I'll do my best to answer them. I toggle between different screens, so I, I'll catch your uh, comments and, and so forth in between those. But if you're watching the replay or listening to the podcast afterward, feel free to leave a comment in the uh, video comment section or shoot me an email and I'll be happy to do my best to answer those questions either in a future episode or, or otherwise. Uh, today's agenda is we're going to be covering the small business digital marketing news this week. Uh, then I have some announcements. Uh, today we're going to be covering Google Chrome 91 feature that I think will be helpful to some small business owners regarding email. And you can even try it now, even though it's a future item that's coming out in Chrome 91. But you can try it now. I'll show you how to do that. Uh, Chrome Android update will help you save money, which is really fun and good for businesses, right? We always have to watch our dollars. Uh, some Bitcoin news. Um, are we ending the, are we nearing the end of AMP, which are accelerated mobile pages? A good discussion on that. We'll cover the seven best optimization, best practices of 2021. And then we will close out with a little discussion on uh, WordPress and the future of the WordPress theme management, basically blocks. And I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. So we're going to have a pretty action-packed show today. So let's get started with the show. And so let me go into full screen mode here and bring up the images so you can see these things along with me. I think I can do this. There we go. Wonderful. So first and foremost, I just wanted to uh, quickly run through some of these uh, headlines that are, I think are really interesting for us all. One is in Google Chrome 91, which is not out yet. We're in Chrome 90, but you will have Chrome 91 in just a couple weeks. And in 91, we will be uh, getting access to a new feature in stable release. But right now in the beta, you can actually turn this on. In essence, what it's going to allow you to do is to use control or command, depending upon Mac or PC, so control or command, and C and V, the C and V characters. So command V, control C, uh, command C, or control V or command C on the Mac and Windows respectively. You will now be able to copy and paste files from your desktop into Chrome, which means that you can now copy a file from, say, a folder on your desktop or from within you know, your documents or in Finder on the Mac. You can just copy items there. You can then go over to your email, say, open up Gmail, open up whatever web uh, email application you have open, and you'll be then able to control V or command V, and that will paste that file and attach it to that email. This is a very powerful productivity enhancement, I think, for all of us. And so just looking forward to having that uh, come to the system. But if you're a little bit impatient, uh, you actually can turn that on now. If you uh, head over to Chrome colon forward slash forward slash flags. Uh, this is fairly stable. I haven't heard any issues from the Chrome uh, uh, development team. Uh, if you didn't know, I'm one of the Google Chrome product experts. So I volunteer in the Google Chrome uh, community to help folks who are having issues. I haven't seen nary a word about this. So it seems pretty stable. 
But if you go to uh, the search field at the top of Chrome colon slash slash flags, you will be able to type in clipboard file names, file names, all one word. So clipboard space file names, again, all one word, you will uh, get an option. Just uh, enable that and you will go ahead and get the option turned on for yourself. And then from there, the clipboard functionality will work. And so a really powerful tool for you to be able to access. And I just think it's a great leveling up of things in that sense. All right, next up is uh, back on uh, the Android side in Chrome. Chrome Android is now getting the ability for you to uh, be notified when there are price drops. So this is a really great uh, money-saving tool for small business owners. In essence, you can follow and track whether that be technology or inventory products that you have to keep in inventory. You can now go in and uh, this feature should be rolled out across all of Chrome Android right now. Uh, so I, I haven't heard anyone who doesn't have the feature yet, but if you don't, it'll be out very soon. But in essence, in Chrome Android in the latest version, you can now go up into your uh, settings, turn on the uh, feature, which is called track price changes on tabs, and uh, price drop alerts will then uh, appear and give you the ability for you to go in. And when you look at products on and in your searches, you'll then be able to say, you know what, I want to track this pricing. I did this with the Samsung uh, recent phone that I was looking at and the Samsung 20 I think Ultra that I was looking at or the 21 Ultra, I was just looking to see whether or not it was going to drop in price. And so I just went in, pressed on the, the option for it to go ahead and track the price. It just displays a little item whenever you see products in the, uh, in the Chrome Android experience. And then it just pops down a little notification on your Android phone or tablet that says, hey, this product has dropped by X amount of dollars. And you can then uh, click on the link, see where it is uh, you know, currently priced and for what and uh, potentially purchase it. So if you're looking to make any investments in the business, this is a really great way to pay attention. Or if you have commodity items in the business that you need to pay attention to, this is a great way to do it also. Again, if you're not able to turn this on, the, the instructions from the link in the video give you uh, instructions to be able to maybe, you know, patchwork it to get it on in the Chrome experimental flags menu. But either way, you should be getting it turned on for you very soon either way. Next up, uh, just a little bit about cryptocurrency. Uh, this is uh, kind of the uh, the beginnings of what is going to happen in the cryptocurrency world. But Binance, which is the world's largest crypto cryptocurrency exchange, they are launching their own NFT market. I, I don't like the idea of of exchanges uh, generally holding your your cryptocurrency wallets, uh, and so certainly get an external you know cryptocurrency wallet whether that be exodus or using coinbase or another wallet that's going to allow you to be able to securely hold your cryptocurrency but in essence now they are launching an nft marketplace nfts are non-fungible tokens go back a few episodes where i explained uh, nfts and so these are in essence the ability for you to authenticate uh, items. They could be digital items, but they can also be physical items. They could be uh, titled to something. Uh, basically, the NFT is just a way on the blockchain to be able to certify the authenticity of something. 
And so uh, Binance is getting in the game. Uh, they're going to be up against Mintable and Rarible, uh, these other NFT marketplaces. So we'll see what happens. OpenSea is another NFT marketplace. And so we'll see what happens. It's, it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show that I think small business owners have now another tool in their toolkit for being able to sell certain items. I've actually been thinking, well, you know, sponsors could potentially sponsor a podcast episode via NFT. You could actually just put the podcast episode up there and then the uh, the podcast sponsor could potentially purchase that episode as a mechanism uh, for you know uh, handling the payment of uh, of the sponsorship. So different ways in which you can use NFTs. I'm looking forward to seeing how people are doing it. Right now, most people are using this for uh, selling artwork. And so giving uh, NFTs as a part of the artwork. Uh, but I see a lot more opportunity here than just those and the concept of speculation in a new market, which is the NFT market. So just wanted to kind of pique people's uh, you know, attention uh, related to that. Next up, I wanted to talk about the end of AMP. This article on uh, LaFou's uh, website talked about the idea that you know in the next few months, uh, and this is kind of your reminder that core web vitals is coming. Google is, uh, they pushed it out a, a couple months. And so we're talking June, end of June, uh, when they're going to start implementing core web vitals. Again, go back a few episodes and look back in the in the um, deck for the core web vitals episodes that we've done. And uh, so core web vitals is coming, which means that there are a couple things that you need to do in order to make sure that you are prepared for it. And this seems and sounds a bit self-serving, but if you're not hosting with me, it doesn't matter if you're hosting with W3C web services or otherwise, you need to figure out whether or not your shared hosting or VPS is fast enough to be able to give a page experience satisfying to Google. And so many times shared accounts are overtaxed. You know, they're, they're shared for a reason. You are in a pooled environment. It's kind of like having your own hotel room versus being in a hostel. Uh, you're sharing a bed, you're sharing, uh, you know, restroom, those kinds of things. Uh, you you have to figure out whether or not your website has enough beef, you know, has enough energy and power, uh, processing power to be able to give Google the experience they want for their users when people come to google.com and do a search. So uh, this makes uh, a, a difference here in the sense that with the movement toward page experience, that is what Core Web Vitals is, is measuring for, we are going to see potentially accelerated mobile pages start to wane in popularity. Why? Because the reality is, is that AMP, in essence, displays your, uh, your website through the Google domain. That is the second... Uh, level domain, that is google.com, and Google being the second level there, google.com is what shows to a browser when someone visits on their their mobile device for your web page when you have AMP turned on. Now, this is, of course, detrimental to you in a number of different ways, ad serving uh, to uh, tracking to branding, really, you know, like you want your domain to be showing and for it to be dominant in the engine. Uh, that is, you know, how Google puts everybody, uh, you know, uh, sends traffic to you, you know, via Google. And so accelerated mobile pages has a whole bunch of problems. Uh, that's not to say that it isn't good for certain people, news organizations, otherwise they've made it work. I think that with page experience coming forward under Core Web Vitals, this will actually be an improvement. And 
uh, what we know is that page experience will now get greater billing in the search engine, and therefore you could potentially get rid of AMP, uh, which of course you know adds weight to a website. You don't want to add more weight to a website by having to implement more plugins and more code to make AMP work. So I'm not quite sure how this is all going to work out. We still have Google Web Stories, which is, is which is basically AMP for the stories format. But I think AMP as a as a protocol, as a framework altogether, it may be waning in its uh, in its existence. Time will tell. But I just wanted to bring it to your attention that if you do get your core web vitals up to up to that green zone, and when you do your tests in the page page speed insights uh, in the Google Page Speed Insights test, then perhaps turning off AMP will actually boost your your SEO, your 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 search engine exposure more than having AMP turned on. So just be mindful as you make your way forward if you're really highly concentrated on organic search traffic. And then of course, uh, following that up with conversion rate optimization, making sure that you're really paying attention to both organic traffic and CRO at the same time, because those are, things are, those are the things that at least with Google is gonna bring you the most business. All right, switching gears to a web optimization best practices for 2021 checklist that I found on business to community in my travels. And this was an interesting list and I think useful for us to think through. And so I just wanted to run through these very quickly with you. One is they talk about optimizing for a mobile first indexing. Since 2014, when I wrote Solomo Success, I've been talking about this idea of being mobile first. And so this is right up my alley in terms of how does Every experience, every campaign, whether that be ad or organic campaign that you run for your website, for your social media, for otherwise, how does it appear from a mobile first perspective? So uh, it makes a lot of sense for you to be able to have either a responsive or separate mobile website, making sure that you are uh, minifying images, basically compressing those images and making them uh, tailored for a mobile experience, right? A, an image that's uh, you know 1080 by 1080, full resolution for desktop is not the same image that's necessary for a, a smartphone or even a feature phone when it loads that website, making sure that you have things that are a little bit more pithy, making sure that things load fast. All of those are good things for a mobile first indexing perspective. So I like that piece here on the checklist. Next, of course, is page speed. This is right in line with core web vitals. Make sure that you are using Google's page speed insights uh, tool to be able to figure out whether or not you are running uh, fast enough for Google. And that, of course, is Google on the desktop and on mobile. And it gives you a full checklist of things that you can do to fix those things. Uh, number three is basically a part of number two. So I'm not quite sure why they separated those other than to have another item. Uh, but in essence, you want to make sure that your core web vitals and your page speed are one in the same uh, in terms of green, okay? You wanna optimize meta title and description. This is traditional classic SEO, still makes a lot of sense for you to basically have your site structured, your pages structured for the keyword or key phrases you're trying to optimize for. Remember one keyword or key phrase per website uh, per web page on a website. So you could have dozens and dozens of different uh, key phrases you want your site to manage and to uh, rank for, but you want each page to, in essence, dominate for one key phrase or keyword, right? And a key phrase is just multiple keywords together. So uh, a keyword would be cars, a key phrase would be how to tie a bow tie, right? You know, you want you want your page to 
uh, be optimized for that key phrase and that to be the only page on the site that optimizes for it. And then you can direct other pages to that page with other terms that are similar to it, but you want each one to have its own. Optimizing images, this goes back to mobile optimization. You don't want big images. You want file formats that people can actually view. Make sure that you have alt tags in every image that you want to rank for, and you'll be good to go there. Lazy loading is one of those things that maybe your site will want lazy loading. It depends on the layout, and that also depends upon now core web vitals and making sure that your core web vitals aren't being tossed off by lazy loading, and just depends upon how good the lazy loading optimization is on your particular site. Schema markup. This is really, really important. So I think a lot of business owners don't realize that schema exists. If you go to schema.org, I'm putting that link on the screen right now, S-C-H-E-M-A.org schema.org is a page that will explain to you what schema is. In essence, schema allows the search engine to show rich content to people, different types of things. That could be products. It could be reviews that your business has received. It could be recipes. It could be events. Uh, location data is a type of schema data. And FAQs, all kinds of things end up being a part of schema. And so many people uh, just don't put those things on their site. And therefore, they're not ranking for each of those different avenues that Google can bring you traffic. Google is not just one search engine. It's dozens of search engines blended together from YouTube for video to Google Maps with your business listings, all of those different types of disparate data, Google Shopping, Google uh, you know, Images, all of those different search engines blend together into what you know as Google.com. But with Schema, you can actually impact each of those different search engines one by one. And it's very, very powerful stuff, and you need to know what Schema is. OK, so then we. Uh, make our way along to what they're calling perfect uh, technical SEO. Uh, so I would, I would consider this infrastructure SEO. And so technical SEO means fixing those things that are server side, uh, making sure that you have a sitemap, making sure that you have your robots.txt. In essence, go to Google Search Console or go to the Bing Webmaster uh, Central, Google, um, the Google Bing uh, console, basically, that allows you to do that. I think it's now in the Microsoft Advertising Console. Uh, and so you can uh, go ahead in there and make sure that you're not getting errors, that things are properly being crawled, and that you can see how your site is performing. And so the Google Search Console is definitely your uh, friend, and you should make sure that you are both, you know, in your your domains are in the system, and that you're paying attention to this infrastructure piece regarding uh, search engine optimization. So good checklist. I think it's well worth going down and paying attention to what things you need to do to make sure your website is being found that way. Let's uh, let me let's let's do uh, our my my discussion on uh, WordPress first, and then we'll wrap back around to the B two B content marketing. No, no, no. I'm, actually, let me let me do that. I'm, I'm going to go back and do uh, this B2B content stuff because we're, we're already in line with talking about search engine optimization. And so this article on B2, uh, uh, B2C business to community came out, and I just equally found it um, interesting and frustrating <laughs> in reading this article because it ends up making you a uh, uh, question different parts of B2B content marketing as it relates to organic search. And so here, just like first off, you can see here they created this chart and they talked about the different parts of the funnel. And you'll know that I frequently talk about the different parts of the funnel as just as all of the major uh, social networks and so on and so forth talk about it in terms of being awareness, uh, consideration, and then conversion. Here they have put this under attraction 
consideration conversion, but you know, basically the same things. On the left-hand side of the funnel, they have uh, listed a set of items that you would want to create as content, what I would consider content marketing hub. Your content marketing hub on the left-hand side and on the right-hand side, they have listed the consumer items. Now, I think that these are all equally useful for B2B and B2C. I'm, I'm, I don't see the argument to say that your a blog on the B2C side wouldn't work on the B2B. Uh, I don't think that the uh, a product demo on the B2C side wouldn't work on B2B. And uh, you know, reviews are important. All of those things on the right hand side, I think, are are actually all uh, useful and applicable for some B2B from the B2C side. So I am just going to call it bunk. Uh, you know, you really should be thinking about all of these pieces minus viral content. I don't even know what that is. Uh, but you should just be creating uh, substantial and good content, great content for the business. Uh, we're thinking about this from a long term long tail perspective, which is that over time, it will bring organic traffic to your site. And then the things on the left hand side end up being things that are gated, 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 meaning that you can capture email, you can bring people closer to the business in the consideration side. So this funnel just seems all kinds of wrong to me, right? The things on the right hand side are really things that are going to bring people to your website, it's going to be bringing awareness or attraction, right? Maybe even the buyer guides would still be next level in terms of email capture. The things on the left-hand side uh, may be a little bit of awareness, attracting people, right? You might host a webinar, but then the recorded webinar can now sit and be a gated piece of material that brings people closer to the sale. That is, they're capturing your email and they're bringing them closer to the sale by uh, starting them in an email sequence. So this chart doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just a bit annoyed by the... <laughs> <laughs> by the view of it. And so ignore it. I think it gives um, one thing that it does give here is actually a set of really good uh, options for content. Like if you have, you know, you're thinking, oh, well, you know, should I do this? Or should I do that? Well, maybe an industry report, or maybe a white paper might be good for you if you're in B2B. Uh, maybe you haven't thought about putting together a buyer guide. And if your product provides a B2B product, you might think about buyer guides uh, to be able to build out for your uh, businesses, uh, business customers. So some really good ideas here for it, but don't think about it from the perspective of it being a part of the funnel. And they actually didn't like separate out which ones are top of the funnel or bottom of the funnel items. So it really just ends up being uh, very confusing. Uh, that being said, uh, once we make our way down, they then talk about a strategy for being able to develop uh, awareness, consideration, and then ultimately conversion or decision. And this makes a lot of sense. And it's something that you should do. You should be thinking about what are the things that are going to bring awareness to the business and ultimately uh, taking people from awareness, that is marketing, say, a webinar. Marketing the webinar is making awareness, bringing awareness to you. Consideration is that place where you have captured information and now they've shown some level of interest in it, right? Just like picking up a product while you're standing in a retail store. They've picked up a product and now you can engage them in a conversation about, oh, are you looking to buy that you know, glass, uh, you know, piece of art? Well, what other types of glass art are you looking to purchase? And now asking them questions about the specificity of what they're looking for, maybe figuring out their budget, all of those things are happening in consideration because they've shown interest, and then ultimately bringing them closer toward the sale or conversion. So defining that sales sales funnel, creating a buyer persona, absolutely important, understanding who your ideal, most likely buyer is, and then creating personas to match those people. 
uh, and then uh, taking them further down the funnel uh, to be able to go ahead and uh, convert, right? And so we want to really pay attention to these things. They kind of stopped short here in the article. They got you through the buyer funnel, and then uh, they kind of stopped. Um, but I think that you should certainly take this forward in terms of creating a customer journey map. Basically, if you could think of like a snakes and ladders board, right? What's the flow that people take as they follow along the uh, snakes and ladder uh, pieces of the puzzle. And you know those those, those ladders uh, in shoots and ladders or snakes and ladders where people hit one point and they jump a, a couple of lines. Uh, those are sales funnels, right? Those are funnel opportunities for you to think about how do you get people from the start of the board to the purchase point, right? Which is conversion uh, faster. And thinking about what are those points where people are along their customer journey, they're doing research, they're talking to friends, maybe they're posting on social networks, and they are trying to learn about this stuff, they're searching Google, and they come across these different elements, where can you capture them and bring them along and forward on the board as fast as possible, but not too fast, right? We don't want to go from first date to marriage too quickly or to marriage proposal too quickly. Uh, that can, that can uh, certainly in the B2B environment uh, stymie the relationship. What you really want to do is be basically go from first date to second date to third date uh, to finally marriage proposal uh, over time. It depends on how quickly your sales cycle is in a B2B environment. They don't really cover that in this article. So just remember, you're going to have to go through that that stage of develop your buyer persona, understand where you're creating content along the sales funnels, and then map those sales funnels to a customer journey map. What is the what is the path that the buyer personas follow in order to be able to get to that end stage? And uh, and with those pieces, you are far more likely to create content that's going to be great, that's going to be able to bring people in to it. So just be mindful and be skeptical of the content you're reading out here, because many times people are just putting content together for content sake and uh, it really doesn't cover the whole picture and you think you're doing the right things but you ultimately then end up um, hurting yourself. So I wanted to close out with this uh, discussion on uh, WordPress and themes and what's going to really happen in the latter part of this year. So WordPress is putting out a new aspect of the platform called full site editing. Full site editing or FSE is the premise that it's a whole bunch of features kind of mashed together to, in essence, allow you now to use the Gutenberg block editor on the front end of the WordPress website. This is going to fundamentally change the way in which you think about how to use the editor, how, do you, how you use the customizer in WordPress and otherwise. So if you have a WordPress website, or if you don't have a WordPress website, this is something you might consider going forward uh, with whatever program you're, you're going to use in terms of, of web publishing, because WordPress is now going to give you the ability to use what are called blocks, but they are just in essence, these abilities, uh, the the um, these little uh, um, content holders that allow you to then manipulate the content and display that content the way you want it to. So, if you wanted to create a button, you could go ahead and create a button really easily and quickly. And if you wanted to be able to move things around on the front end of your website, you will now be able to do that. And this is, I mean, I can't understate it um, in the sense that it is going to be revolutionary for small business owners being able to now put content on the web and structure it in that way using WordPress in very fluid uh, mechanisms and really with the power in your hands. You're now no longer really held um, back by uh, the theme you're in or those kinds of things. 
you will have to choose a theme that supports FSE and the concept of the editor. But once you have that theme, you will really be able to start structuring things. The most empower powerful thing is that once this uh, these set of FSE features, the full site editing features comes to WordPress, you will be able to create things like landing pages and uh, what I would call a lead page, a page that has a singular call to action as a part of a sales funnel. And that means that when someone lands on your page, you can turn off things like the header and the footer that lets people navigate away from the page as opposed to just being on the page and being able to do that one thing you want them to do. Uh, the power of that means that less plugins, less uh, you know, having to go back and forth between designer and developer uh, to be able to make changes to both the back end and front end of the pages, both the interior pages, but also the front end pages of the site and the structure of it. Very, very powerful components really coming to WordPress. And so I just wanted to kind of put that on your radar. Uh, we're going to see more and more discussion about that as we see new features coming. We're coming closer to the point where uh, all features set for this new, new uh, version coming out will be cut off, and then they'll just be working on refining the features in beta uh, to launch into general release for general availability. So a very, very powerful uh, component of WordPress coming to us all. So make sure that you have good foundation in terms of hosting, making sure that if you're in shared hosting and it's not beefy enough, upgrade your account. Uh, and you can talk to me about that. You can talk to uh, your web host about that and just make sure that you have the appropriate amount of power and force behind your site to be able to have good core web vitals because then right around the corner after that, WordPress is gonna come and launch this new ability for you to have full site editing. And uh, that's gonna be very, very powerful for many of you who wanna add you know, widgets to the front end of your site and create different and uh, unique different types of widgets uh, on interior pages of your site and create lead pages and so on and so forth. So some really good stuff coming in that sense. Okay, uh, that is our show for today. I wanted to cover just a couple of quick announcements. We have upcoming uh, tomorrow, actually. So if you're listening to the uh, podcast uh, today, uh, then May 4th is our um, monthly virtual small business roundtable. And we'll be talking about professional networking in the digital age. So if you're interested in joining us, feel free to uh, head over to www.webandbeyond.community. You can go ahead and join the community. I'll approve you to let you in. And then there's an event uh, in there. Just click on events and you can RSVP to the event. It's a Zoom uh, event. So you'll be able to join us and have a roundtable discussion about the uh, the concepts of networking on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, and other places in this new era of social networking online. And so that's web and beyond uh, dot community. Our next webinar is going to be May. Oh, I thought I had it written down here, but it's going to be May 20th, uh, May 20th. And so if you go to w3cinc.com forward slash events, the uh, upcoming Web and Beyond webinar is going to be build a digital community for your small business and get paid. So this is really talking about the idea of creating and utilizing uh, premium or paid communities for purposes of building uh, a revenue stream. And so I'm looking forward to that webinar. And again, like I said, that's going to be on May 20th, Thursday, May 20th at noon. And you can find that by going to our website forward slash events. So W3, the number three, W3CINC.com forward slash events. And so with that, I think those are all of our announcements for the week. And so we have reached the uh, end of our time together. 
now. If you've enjoyed the live stream, feel free to click the thumbs up icon. That helps us make new small business friends. And so thank you for doing that. If you have a question, leave a comment. If you uh, want to, you can also tweet or message me at W3Consulting, W, the number three, Consulting on Twitter. And you know that I'm a Twitter fan. Oh, also, we're, we just got uh, Twitter spaces enabled. So think Clubhouse uh, or an, a social audio component. We just got Twitter spaces enabled on our account. So I'm going to be throwing up a couple of spaces. So um, follow us on Twitter because in the next week, I'm going to probably start doing some spaces uh, activity just to kind of test it out and see how it's going. And so you can join us in the audio uh, spaces uh, on Twitter. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, otherwise, you can join us every Monday, typically at 11am Eastern here for Web and Beyond Live. Uh, thanks so much for spending this Web and Beyond Live with me. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. On behalf of W3 Consulting and our subsidiary W3C Web Service Services, have a great week ahead marketing your small business on the Web and Beyond.